In today's episode, we find out how fungus could end us all. Scientists build the first ever living robot that can reproduce, and flying taxis are coming to a city near you. But first, it was during this week in 1967 that Christian Bernard performed the first human heart transplant in Cape Town, South Africa. Although his patients succumbed to pneumonia only 18 days later, Bernard's innovations have led to the successful techniques used today. This week, Jack Dorsey confirmed that he would be stepping down from his position as Twitter CEO. Posting on the platform, he said that it was the final time for me to leave, explaining in a statement on Twitter itself that it was because the company is ready to move on from its founders. He founded the company in 2006, but this will be the second time he's left the CEO position. After the first time he left in 2008, he built the digital payments app Square. So what will happen next and why is he resigning now? We spoke to Smart7 technology reporter Chris Merriman to find out more. So Chris, why do you think Jack Dorsey is resigning and why now? Jack Dorsey is very much an idealist, but more than that, he's it's his baby. Twitter was always his baby. And you'd think that would be a reason to stay. But in actual fact, I think he now recognises that Twitter has grown as much as it can with his vision because he he as CEO was regularly saying, no, well, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. I'm not happy with that. But the problem is that was meaning for the shareholders were saying, well, there's all this money we could make and all this growth we could have. And because Jack is, you know, sort of he doesn't want to change what he created, uh, we're ignoring those opportunities. And I think Jack recognises that in order for it to thrive, he's too close to it now to see you know, the, for it to grow the way that it needs to grow as opposed to the way he wants it to grow. It, 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 I suppose, in a way, it's outgrown him, you know, having the founder running things for so long can actually um, sort of strangle the, the potential of a company. And so, and, and, and to be honest, I don't think any shareholder is going to argue with that logic. What does his resignation mean for Twitter as a social media platform? Will there be big changes once he's gone? The question is, are we going to see, you know, adverts? Um, Well, we might do. Uh, The decision on how it's going to pay for itself uh, is far too early to say. There is now going to be a paid layer. It's already launched in the States. It's called Twitter Blue. Um, Among the elements that you get with that um, are the one thing that everybody's always dreamed of an edit button which has caused great excitement since it went live in the states so you know there will be little changes but i I imagine it will be evolution not revolution will this be the last of jack dorsey as a twitter ceo it's a tricky one on one hand i imagine that coming back a third time will probably be the last thing on his mind at the moment but i don't think he necessarily intended to come back the second time. Um, it was very much a case of um, the replacement CEO left suddenly. He came in as an interim CEO and that got made permanent and that was never really the plan. That's how he ended up running two companies at once. Um, could he come back? I mean, he's still on the board. He's still got shares in the company. Um, it is possible, but I imagine this time it is much more about him drawing a line in the sand and saying right okay this is as far as i can take it
There's a new threat on the horizon. A highly contagious fungal infection that may not respond to medication could put hospital and nursing home patients at risk. The CDC it's time to fear the fungi. The world is warming up and we're starting to see deadly consequences from an unlikely candidate. The CDC says Candida auris has been detected in six continents since it was first identified about a decade ago. There are so it turns out the, the world is getting warmer and fungi have been shown to be easily adaptable to a higher temperature. That's Dr. Arturo Casadevall, a microbiologist at Johns Hopkins University who studies fungal diseases. Humans have long been protected from fungal infections thanks to our nice warm blood, but it looks like climate change could ruin that. Candida auris is a highly transmissible fungus. About a third of people infected die within 30 days. So Candida auris is unknown to medicine until 2007. You cannot find it in any fungal collection. And then it emerged simultaneously in three continents, South America, Africa, and the Indians, uh, and India. And these isolates are not related. They appear to have broken through at the same time. Since then, uh, in the, other independent uh, events have happened. So what we have proposed is that this is the first fungus that becomes pathogenic by breaking through the mammalian thermal barrier. And in fact, it was recently isolated from the environment in the Andaman Islands in two sites, a beach that is frequented by humans and may have been contaminated by humans, and uh, an area that is wild. And the, the organism from the wild area was much less temperature adapted than the one in the beach, consistent with the idea that this organism is adapting to climate change. Whilst humans can and do get fungal infections, we're generally unlikely to fall to fungus for one big reason. Humans are hot and it makes it difficult for a fungus to survive. Now, to make matters worse, human core temperatures have dropped in the past century as we deal with a lot of inflammatory diseases. So humans are getting colder. So the thermal barrier that protects mammals is narrowing. The world is getting warmer, the fungi are adapting to higher temperatures, and humans are getting colder. I think this is trouble ahead. I would point out that many of the organisms in the environment are resistant to, to the existing drugs. Uh, so it would, it would not be surprised if some of them arrive fully resistant. When you think of global warming, focus on the number of very hot days rather than the average temperature. Each very hot day is a chance for selection. New fungal diseases are predicted to emerge, and Candida auris may have been the first the proverbial cannery in the coal mine. To come on the Smart 7 Sunday, we learn there's an optimal sleeping time and the London Underground is harboring a unique type of blood-sucking creature. we all know is important, but so many of us aren't getting enough of it. Mariah Carey is said to need 15 hours of shut-eye to hit her high notes, whilst inventor Nikola Tesla never slept for more than two hours a day. No matter the amount of Zs you get, new research is showing that the time you go to sleep has an impact too. There appears to be an optimal bedtime. Going to bed around 10 and 11pm can lower the risk of developing heart disease, according to a new study from the European Heart Journal. Dr David Plans is co-author of the study and talked to NBC News about the research. The census data that we looked at in this project um, was for 88,000 people of a cohort of almost 500,000. So it's the largest data set that anyone has looked at of real world data in its relationship between the circadian clock and sleep and then um, cardiovascular disease. The way we did it is by looking at a specific week over seven days, looking at um, people sleeping and when they went to sleep and then later incidences 
sometimes years later in, um, in uh, incidence of cardiovascular disease. And it looks like people who went to sleep between 10 and 11 had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. And that's not to say that sleeping between 10 and 11 has a direct causation. David says that this is only an association. And quite probably what it means is that people who go to bed at a reasonable hour then wake up early enough to see some sunlight. And because the eye has ocular receptors that reset the circadian clock when they see sunlight, they, people who don't, people who miss it, don't get to reset their clock. And it's not really about how long you sleep. It's a well-documented fact that eight good hours of sleep are a good idea. But, you know, between five to eight, you already get the periods of REM sleep and deep sleep that you need. It's really the question of how we evolve to be daytime creatures. And at night and in the dark especially, we do lots of really important work that resets metabolism, that resets the brain, that allows us to digest and process um, everything that's happened during the day. And without that being reset, the next morning, the brain and the body think that it's still yesterday. And so you live in this constant now in a state of jet lag. And that causes inflammation and it causes, um, uh, obviously, in, in the end, risks like cardiovascular disease. The team also say the findings appear to be stronger in women than men, although the reasons for this remain unclear. When you look at the age group that the, that the cohort we looked at, um, um, you know, was, you know, they were between 43 and 72 years old. So right. they, there could be an influence um, of the menopause there. There's an endocrine difference potentially, but there's also the socioeconomic difference and the very real reality that women have at least two jobs when they work full time and, um, and that they work harder than men. And that's the plain truth. Apologies to any Londoners out there listening because this might ruin your already dreaded commute. We all know about the rats, the lost pigeons and occasional foxes. But it turns out that the London Underground, aka the Tube, also has its own type of mosquito. The insect first caught people's attention during World War II when Londoners sheltered in the Tube to escape German bombing raids and they found themselves getting attacked by mosquitoes. Culex pipiens molestus is a form or biotype of Culex pipiens that has evolved to living underground. This is Natural History Museum entomologist Erica McAllister. As she explains, research suggests that mosquitoes have evolved some adaptations since moving underground. They behave very differently to their above-ground relatives, Culex pipiens pipiens. Feeding on mammals, including us, instead of birds, they are active all year round, mate one-on-one -on -one rather than mass swarms, and females don't need a blood meal before they can lay eggs, all of which helps them live successfully underground. Molestus is found in underground structures all around the world. The mosquitoes are brilliant at exploiting different habitats, including human-made ones. Still to come on the Smart 7 Sunday, the world's first living robots can now reproduce and an AI app that will help you communicate with your kitty cat. Right after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Scientists have unveiled the world's first computer-designed living robots. They're about the size of a poppy seed and are miraculously capable of self-replication. Created by a team of biologists and computer scientists from Tufts University and the University of Vermont, these tiny biological machines are called xenobots. Built from frog cells, xenobots self-assemble a body from single cells, don't require muscle cells to move, and have even demonstrated recordable memory. They were first created by the team over a year ago, but this new generation xenobot moves faster, navigates different environments, and can work together in groups and heal themselves if damaged. Scientists also say they've witnessed a never-before-seen type of replication, where the organisms are capable of gathering hundreds of loose cells together to assemble xenobot children. Here's Josh Bongard from the University of Vermont team explaining it all to ABC News. Turns out that in this case, the AI came up with a design that is much more replicative. And that design looks like a Pac-Man. It's a pretty simple uh, circular object. It's got a little wedge cut out of it. And when these nine Pac-Man move around in the dish, they unintentionally get cells caught in their quote-unquote mouths. They push those uh, cells into larger piles and larger piles become larger and stronger and faster moving children, which make larger grandchildren and great grandchildren. We got as far as great, great grandchildren with these AI designed, uh, these AI designed parents. Recognizing the tremendous future for this technology, the researchers hope that one day these xenobots could be programmed to perform useful functions such as finding cancer cells in the human body or trapping harmful microplastics in the ocean. There are some suggestions about what they could be useful for because they're very small. They're less than a millimeter across. Um, so it may be in the long term, we're able to create biobots from human cells and they might have actually have medical applications. You might be able to ingest one of these bots and have it do useful work inside the body. In the much more near term, uh, it's probably going to be uh, underwater applications. If those underground mosquitoes haven't scared you away from public transport, there's a futuristic new way of getting around coming your way soon. 
Urbanization is the biggest trend of the 20th century. As populations continue to grow, especially in emerging markets, this trend shows no signs of slowing down. The technology that helped us build the world's greatest cities, electricity, steel, concrete and the automobile, continues to support the growth of urbanization, but it is coming at a terrible cost. The voice you just heard is of Stephen Fitzpatrick, founder and CEO of Vertical Aerospace, the pioneering startup launching the world's first commercial flying taxis. Road transport accounts for a significant portion of air pollution in cities and towns. The most widespread pollutants are tiny particles, mostly from fossil fuels being burned and nitrogen dioxide from diesel vehicles. The serious impact on human health from road pollution in urban areas is well known, and researchers say even low levels of pollution may harm wildlife, including birds, mammals and insects. As our population continues to grow, so does the pressure on existing infrastructure, but Vertical Aerospace has a plan to change that. CEO Stephen Fitzpatrick sat down with Kay Burley on Sky's Climate Show to explain just how. The wonderful thing about the technology we're using, it's been developed already over the last few decades, primarily in the um, in the car sector, the automotive sector. And so there's already these great industrial uh, partners and supply chains ready to be uh, taken over into aerospace. And so we're working with some of the UK's leading manufacturing and engineering groups. And uh, UK consumers and passengers will be able to fly in these vehicles from 2024, 2025 onwards. So it sounds like it's you know very futuristic, but actually it's just a few years away. We're working with battery, uh, battery powered only when we launch, but very quickly, we'll be moving into a hybrid powertrain, in particular hydrogen is something we're looking very closely at. Um, and these are technologies that are being developed today. They will be ready in within this decade. Um, and the beautiful thing about um, the, the, the EV toss, there's electric vertical takeoff and landing, is that you don't need to travel, you know, 10, 15, 20, even 50 miles to go to an airport, you're going to be able to depart and arrive much closer to your destination. So it's going to transform how we travel around cities. And if you think HS2 uh, as a wonderful piece of engineering as it is, it is a, an enormous uh, expense that we are paying to create some ground infrastructure to help bring passengers from London to Birmingham uh, in just under an hour. Uh, we're going to be able to do exactly the same uh, journey at about the same cost without tens and tens of billions of pounds invested in the railway network um, because we, we're, we're flying through the sky. So it is really going to transform how we travel around. It's zero carbon. And as we start to look at longer range uh, journeys, we're, we're going to start to make real inroads into the fossil fuel based uh, aerospace sector. look at your cat and wonder what's going on inside that little head well now there's an ai powered app that tells you exactly how your cat is feeling it's called tably and it claims to actually assess a cat's mood through a facial recognition type technology my name is Mish Priest and I'm a venture lead for Sylvester AI. It's an animal health technology company and basically what I do is um, explore opportunities to use technology to help animals. So our app is Tably and what it does is it helps uh, human cat owners know if their cat is in pain or not. 
So it uses facial recognition technology. All you need to do is take a picture with your camera and then it can give you a result. The app works by using criteria that's known as the feline grimace scale. It uses um, artificial intelligence, so specifically machine learning, and it's coupled with the feline grimace scale. And what the feline grimace scale is, it's, an, it's a way for humans to be able to determine if a cat is in pain or not, based on the ear positioning, the eye positioning, the muzzle, whiskers, um, things like that. And so we were able to train a machine using machine learning and a series of, of images to be able to make that determination. So if you're somebody who has a cat but you don't have that training, you can just use the app and it can help you determine how your cat is doing. Alice Potter is an RSPCA cat welfare expert and also sees the app as a valuable tool for cat owners in their day-to-day -day lives. So this app would be a really good useful part of a tool set that cat owners could use in conjunction with other things to assess how their cat is feeling. So thinking about the rest of the cat's body, so paying attention to you know how tense they hold their muscles, where they hold their head, is it close to their body, um, their tail as well. Cats that are like worried or scared will hold their tail really tight and tense to them. And then aside from that, there's also just thinking about their behaviour in terms of you know are they eating drinking toileting sleeping like they usually do you know have they started showing more aggressive behavior have they started hiding more you know all of these things help to build the context um, which is really important this has been the sunday seven wherever you're listening do us a favor and hit the follow button we'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m with the regular smart seven have a great rest of your weekend Produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.